Welcome to our podcast, where we are offering the best from Temple Solel in Paradise Valley, Arizona. Here our clergy team of Rabbi John Linder, Rabbi Debbie Steele, and cantorial soloist Todd Herzog share their weekly insights from our Shabbat services and beyond. Temple Solel is a vibrant and engaged reform community grounded in relationships and deeds and elevated by Shabbat and Torah. We welcome all who seek a connection to Jewish life regardless of religious background, race, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, ability, age, sexual orientation, and gender identity. Don't forget to subscribe to get a notification for our next episode. Find more information at www.templesolel.org. This is an existential moment for Israel. And Moses saw it coming. Before Moses' death, he gives his final speech to the Israelites as they prepare to enter the Promised Land. His speech is recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth and final book of Torah. Looking ahead, Moses presciently offers his advice to the future kings of Israel, saying, let Torah remain with the king and let him read it all his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, to observe faithfully every word of this Torah as well as the laws. Thus he will not act haughtily towards his fellows or deviate from the commandments to the right or left, so that he and his descendants may reign long in the midst of Israel. So that his descendants may reign long in the midst of Israel. Well, how has that worked out? Before 1948, Israel experienced sovereignty twice. The Israelites' first experience was living under the kingship of Saul, David, and Solomon. The United Kingdom lasted about 80 years. The people were ultimately exiled by the Babylonian conquest, and Solomon's temple destroyed. The Israelites' second experience of self-rule was under the reign of the Hasmonean dynasty, family to the Maccabees. The Hasmonean dynasty also lasted about 80 years, eventually leading to the destruction of the second, second temple in Jerusalem at the hands of the Roman Empire. The Jews exiled once again. In both cases, the Hebrew prophets rail against idolatry and immorality. Moses understood the intoxication of power to corrupt. In exile for what would be 2,000 years, 
Jews never lost their longing to, to return to their ancestral homelands. Our synagogues are oriented to face Jerusalem. Imagine right now you're facing the courtyard. Three times a day, we pray, return to your city Jerusalem in mercy and establish yourself there as you promised. Blessed are you, Lord, builder of Jerusalem. Jews physically lived in the diaspora. Their hearts never left Israel. Visionaries like Theodore Herzl tirelessly worked to lay the political groundwork for return. And more than a century before statehood, teenagers from Eastern European Zionist youth movements emigrated to Palestine. In waves of aliyot, they began the back-breaking work to transform the land, getting it ready for return. On November 29, 1947, the United Nations voted to adopt the Partition Plan, dividing the land of Palestine, then controlled by the British, into two states, one Jewish and one Arab. Shortly after this vote, the British government decided that the rule would end on May 15, 1948. The Jews would then have the right to declare a state at the strike of midnight. Jewish leaders, building the military and political infrastructure for decades, were not going to squander this moment. Moses' advice to the Israelites, poised to cross into the Promised Land, rang loudly in their ears. They were well-schooled in Jewish history. The collapse first of the United Kingdom and then the Hasmonean dynasty, they dreamed of placing a prayer of peace in the cracks of the Western Wall where the two temples in Jerusalem once stood. Now was their opportunity to begin again to chart a different course. They were not going to squander that moment. The UN partition plan triggered immediate attacks from the surrounding Arab villages. Israel was preparing for a full-scale war once statehood was declared. The Declaration of Independence was written in the pressure cooker of three and a half weeks. David Ben-Gurion, chosen to serve as Israel's first prime minister, had his hands full. The crafting of the Declaration of Independence is a story itself. Let me spotlight two things. To no one's surprise, there was bitter debate between the religious members who insisted that the Declaration mention the God of Israel and the secular Zionists who felt that any mention of God would be blasphemy. And wouldn't you know it, that midnight on May 15th, the end of the British mandate, fell on Shabbat. 
the religious parties, the religious parties were already conflicted by a return to the promised land being delivered by political orchestration rather than by the hand of God. They refused to sign the founding document on Shabbat, claiming that the state would be born in sin. Well, when it looked like compromise was impossible, David Ben-Gurion took charge. He proposed that rather than refer to God, Israel's declaration would end with a mention of placing trust in Tzur Yisrael, the rock of Israel, a biblical term used as a synonym for God, an acceptable metaphor for the secular Jews. And regarding the conflict on Shabbat, Ben-Gurion unilaterally moved up the time to declare statehood just before sundown on May 14th. But it's in the 13th paragraph. It's in the 13th paragraph where you'll find the heart and soul, the crown jewel of the Declaration of Independence. It reads, the state of Israel will be open for Jewish immigration and for the ingathering of exiles. It will foster the development of the country for the benefit of all its inhabitants. It will be based on freedom, justice, and peace as envisioned by the prophets of Israel. It will ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, or sex. It will guarantee freedom of religion, conscience, language, education, and culture. It will safeguard the holy places of all religions, and it will be faithful to the principles of the Charter of the United Nations. The Declaration of Independence walks a fine line. It at once grounds the Jewish right to statehood in the biblical and historical roots of the Jewish people. Out of the ashes of the Holocaust, the incontrovertible claim that declares this right is the natural right of the Jewish people to be masters of their own fate like all other nations in their own sovereign state. The Jews would no longer have to be guests in anyone's home. At the same time, the Declaration steers clear of any whiff of theocracy. Israel's Declaration was surely influenced and inspired by our American Declaration and Independence, and Declaration of Independence and Democracy. Israel's particular model, a Jewish democratic state, is a challenging undertaking, to say the least. To further complicate the tensions inherent in Jewish state and democracy is a parliamentary system of government, the Knesset, 
which essentially combines the legislative and executive branch. It would be as if the President of the United States was also the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader of the Senate. The only checks and balances to the government are in the hands of Israel's Supreme Court. And one more, perhaps the most glaring difference between Israeli and American democracies, Israel has no constitution. In these 75 years, Israel has not had to go it alone. No country has been a better friend to Israel than America. Since the end of World War II, Israel has been the largest recipient of the United States, of United States foreign assistance. And it goes beyond friendship. It's in the geopolitical security interest of the United States to have a stable ally in the Middle East. So let's look at the relationship between American Jews and Israel. The most significant point of unity for the American Jewish community from my parents' generation to baby boomers and, X and Gen Xers has been financially supporting Israel. The most common B'nai Mitzvah gift in my day was an Israeli bond or a Jewish National Fund certificate that a plea that a tree was planted in the honor of the bar or bat mitzvah. Our financial support of Israel has been our strongest connection with Israel. It has served as a source of pride and a big part of our Jewish identity. External threats, external threats to Israel have always been rallying points for the American Jewish community. And that is changing for two reasons. First, if you put the Declaration of Independence side by side, the day-to-day -day life of Palestinian citizens of Israel or the West Bank, you would see a disconnect. Gen Xers and Gen Yers see Israel in a different light. The David and Goliath victories witnessed in 1949 and 1967 took on mythic proportions. Because we can never let down our guard, Israel has one of the most powerful militaries in the world. While it is true that there are no credible Palestinian leaders with an interest in peace, it's also true that occupying land and restricting the day-to-day -day life of your neighbors is simply unsustainable in the long run. The optics become difficult with the role reversals of who's David and who's Goliath. Our young people are not wrong to be disillusioned by the optics. It's not smoke and mirrors. Our independence from the beginning came at the expense of those we displaced. 
our victories granted in self-defense have exacerbated the problem. I know, I know all the reasonable counter-arguments, yet they don't change the reality on the ground. And second, Israel's internal conflicts largely between min the minority ultra-Orthodox right and secular liberal left have been bitter and tumultuous from day one of independence, yet the conflicts were always eclipsed by the more immediate external threats. That has changed. What we've witnessed over these past eight months is perhaps the greatest threat the modern state of Israel has faced in its 75 years. And the threat comes from within. It is not hyperbole to call this an existential moment. It is not alarmist to fear a civil war. Surely you've seen some of the stunning aerial images of a sea of Israeli flags being waved by hundreds of thousands of Israelis after Shabbat for 38 consecutive weeks and running in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, and across the country, Israelis have poured into the streets. They've come to protest what they see as a fundamental threat to Israel's democracy, a response to the government's determination to wrest power from Israeli's Supreme Court. From week to week, some 200,000 Israelis are showing up with the same level of patriotism and sacrifice to protect their country as they have done on the front lines of the battlefield. These are not fringe left-wing Israelis. They represent the spectrum of society from left and right, religious and secular, Ashkenazi and Mizrahi, doctors, business leaders, IDF reservists, even the government's defense minister, Yoav Gallant, intervened calling for negotiations. That was not well received by the prime minister. Remarkably, remarkably, given the numbers, the duration, the passion and anger, the protests have largely been peaceful. This should not be lost on any of us. Israelis exercising their freedom of speech and the right to peaceful protest is on display for the whole world to see. The restrained conduct of law enforcement reflects a healthy democracy, a democracy worth fighting for. So what is the real threat that's brought together such unity, unity otherwise seen only in Israel's response to external threats? 
The real threat is the removal of the check and balance provided by the judicial, the judicial system in the context, in the context of a government coalition being held hostage by an extreme minority of ultra-religious nationalist ministers. Ministers who are diametrically opposed to pluralism, LGBTQ rights, women's rights, Palestinian rights, immig immigrant rights, and we could go on. This opposition to basic human rights is not just rhetoric. Laws will be enacted without any power of judicial oversight that will diminish the rights of fellow human beings. What is unique in this moment is the power the prime minister has given to a small number of extreme right-wing religious nationalists in order to stay in power. In 75 years, this has never, never happened in any government. This has provided another reason, in particular for young American Jews, to either remain on the sidelines or turn their backs on Israel altogether. It has surely added fuel to the fire of those that demonize Israel without the capacity or interest to understand the historical context or open their eyes to a shared responsibility. Out of this existential threat is an opportunity to deepen our relationship as American Jews with our brothers and sisters in Israel. This threat is what Moses most feared in speaking to the Israelite community. The challenge is not getting power. The challenge is what you do with it. Though hardly perfect, what Israel has accomplished in 75 years is nothing short of miraculous. Just ask the 25 members of Temple Solel who traveled to Israel this summer in an amazing way experiencing all of the glory of Israel. Yet this Israel, this Israel hangs in the balance. I could not be more proud and inspired by the vast majority of Israelis who are refusing to hand over their democracy to bigoted zealots and a prime minister under indictment. And they are reaching out to us, and they are reaching out to us for support, not only for the sake of physical survival, but the, for the survival of Israel's soul, a soul to which Jews around the world are connected. Maddie Friedman, Yossi Klein Halevi, and Daniel Gordas each made Aliyah with their families some 40 years ago from Canada 
in America. As authors, journalists, political centrists, their influence has a long reach. In the midst of the protests, they wrote a widely published open letter to Israel's friends in North America. In it, they say, the North American Jewish community has steadfastly come to the aid of Israel at moments of crisis. Israel belongs, first of all, to its citizens, and they have the final word. But Israel also matters to the entire Jewish people. With an Israeli government, when an Israeli government strays beyond, the, beyond what your commitments to liberal democracy can abide, you, speaking to us, have both the right and the responsibility to speak up. Israeli leaders need to hear where you stand. North American Jews and their leaders must make clear to this government that if it continues on the path to transforming Israel into a country of which diaspora Jews can no longer be proud, there will be no business as usual. We and our families, they end, along with many tens of thousands of other Israelis, are in the streets every week demanding the government end its war against our democratic values and institutions. We need your voice to help us preserve Israel as both a Jewish and democratic state. Israel's, Israelis are reaching out to us for a different relationship. Yes, we will continue to do our part to ensure Israel's physical survival, and we must also stand with our Israeli brothers and sisters for the soul of Israel, for the values enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, values etched on the tablets that Moses carried down Mount Sinai. What an amazing way for all of us, and especially our youth, to stand in solidarity with Israel. They are asking for our support, which enriches us. We will, Temple Solel, be in close touch with our friends in Israel, the Hartman Institute, the Reform Movement's Israel Religious Action Center, and Israeli Americans for concrete ways to stand in solidarity. Israel still can serve as a beacon, a light unto the nations. Shortly, we will hear the youth of Temple Solel read from the Torah portion selected for Yom Kippur. It's a continuation of Moses' words to the Israelites. He says, Ata Nitzavim Hayom, you stand this day. And he goes on to make sure that the entire community is seen as though Moses was speaking directly to each person from the top leadership of the community to the rank and file to the stranger within our midst, everyone. 
And then Moses explicitly imagines us, you and me, generations in the future, standing together as one. Moses, our teacher, asked the Israelite community to stand as one at the threshold of entering the promised land. Now our Israeli brethren are asking us to stand with them for the values upon which the state of Israel was founded. At the weekly protests, Amid the sea of Israeli flags, hundreds of thousands of Israelis, a kaleidoscope of diversity, stand side by side and proudly sing their anthem of hope. I invite you to join me as we stand this day in solidarity with Resolve and Tikva. Thank you.